Before we jump into episode 19, I just want to apologize to everybody for the delay between episodes. You know, I don't really plan to be dormant for that long again. It's just kind of like sometimes life gets in the way. And honestly, over the last couple of weeks, it's been kind of tough because, you know, we lost a big brother for all of us. And by all of us, I don't just mean Rochester hardcore, New York hardcore, but worldwide hardcore. And, you know, just people who loved underground music and culture in general lost a big brother. Um, obviously, most of you are probably familiar with, I'm talking about Patrick Doyle passed away a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, there's not really much I can say that hasn't already been said about him over the last couple weeks. Uh, he was definitely one of the more vibrant people that I've met in Rochester. You know, he'll definitely be missed. Um, his energy was just unmatched, you know. Um, and, you know, like a few people said, it's going to, you know, who knows when the next show is going to be, but it just sucks knowing that he's not going to be there. I mean, you know, you could say that his spirit's going to be there above all of us and stuff like that. But, you know, the bottom line is, you know, Doyle's going to be missed. And, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses. Obviously, I could have, you know, come through and put this out. But, you know, my mind was just kind of trying to understand what happened and, and come to terms with it. And, and you know, honestly, it's, it's not really something I'm, I'm able to do still now. But we all have to cope one way or another with stuff like that. So, uh, but yeah, long story short. I'm uh, sorry to everybody that that was looking for an episode and didn't get one for a little while. Um, and, you know, more importantly, rest in peace, Patrick Doyle. And obviously all future episodes, including this one, will be dedicated to his memory. Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have book shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Welcome to episode 19 of Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Today we have Rory Van Grohl and Brian Van Etten, and we're going to be talking about Stand Fast. As always, you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. You'll find all the streaming and social media information there. But yeah, like I said, we got the uh, some of the Stanfast guys on today. So uh, I guess it's Brian's first time on the podcast. So we'll bring you on first, man. How you doing today, Brian? Great. Uh, Josh, I'm great. Great to be here. It's been nice uh, listening to the episodes you've been putting out. I'm proud of you for doing it. You've you've got a lot of memories flooding through my brain just by listening to these. So uh, happy to be here. Thanks, man. Obviously, I appreciate I appreciate that. So I guess uh, welcome back, Rory. How's everything going with you tonight? Good. Just car washed the uh, front of the shop and uh, decided to pop in here and do it here so the kids can go to sleep. They're not bothering them. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that works. My uh, my girlfriend and son went to the beach for the evening, so I guess if we hear a little uh, crash in like 15 minutes, it's probably them coming home. So. Um, well, yeah, I guess. So, Rory, you've been on here before, so some of these questions I might just ask you, and if you want to defer to that old episode or if you want to you know, give a little short answer type thing. But sure. um, again, Brian, since it's your first time being on, uh, let's go back to your beginning first and talk about like your introduction int- introduction to punk and hardcore and kind of like your upbringing, what brought you all to all that. That's awesome because it's good that Rory's here because he's a major player in that. Uh, I was born in Geneva, kind of followed my dad as he had different teaching jobs, ended up in Fairport. And uh, up until the ninth grade, I listened to 98PXY and, and I was just thrilled about pop music to, uh, to this 
you know, to be clear, to this day, I still listen to a hell of a lot of pop music. Uh, however, around the ninth grade, my last name is Van Etten. So in the home, my homeroom, uh, directly in front of me, the last name of the person was Van Grohl. So this was some kid. He was kind of, you know, dirty and funky and kind of had beat up jeans and torn up, you know, just clothes. <laughs> he just, he had a lot of big names on his clothes. And, and I didn't really know much about him, but I think that was basically my introduction to Rory. And between a few other mutual friends, started hanging out with people like Rory and a, another friend, Mike Gullo. I think maybe Rory probably introduced me to him. Um, and I kind of brought along my friend, Jeff and Alicia Licky, as she's known by, and we kind of just started hanging out. And I believe, um, you know, up before the ninth grade, the closest thing I'd listen to that you consider punk rock would be, um, Green Day and Green Day, you know, the Dookie record when that came out, that was everywhere, was super into it. By the time Insomniac had come out, I went and saw them at the War Memorial, that was, as it was called at that time. And when I saw uh, the Insomniac tour at the War Memorial, my my life was changed. It just, the, the smell of marijuana, the crowd was <laughs> packed to the brim. We were, I remember we were sitting up, we weren't on the floor, at least for a big portion of it. Um, I forget, Rory. Were you at that show? That yeah. on Sunday after. So who opened? Was it the Riverdale's open? The, yeah, the Riverdale's open. From what I can Riverdale, remember, the Riverdale's open, and that was a, that was an experience for me as well. Because up until that point, punk rock to me was uh, Green Day, and subsequently maybe The Offspring. And then seeing a, a, the Riverdale's, I was like, wow, there's there's other cool music out there. They just were kind of like I, don't, I couldn't even really remember what they sound like to this point, but maybe like Ramonesy. Um, very poppy but that green day that green day show just changed my life i remember stand you know sitting up so i had a view of the floor and when they were playing seeing like this you know 80 foot wide pit breakout and people just flailing around in it. i was just i you know i felt like a child i was like what the fuck this is something i've never experienced um i need to i need to be involved with this so uh I, wh when did that come out 90 93 dookie maybe 94 95 um yeah right. dookie was uh 93. okay so i was 13 at the time um but anyways flash forward to ninth grade met rory um got into some of his crew these these guys were listening to bands and introduced me to bands like pennywise and things uh, of that nature a lot of fat rack type bands no effects i wasn't big into no effects but i i did appreciate it again because i feel like bands like uh, no effects you know at their core they're a pop music band they're just a little faster and you know a little more aggressive but their songs are you know they follow the pop music um formula they're basically verse chorus verse chorus bridge and then a chorus and i appreciate that kind of uh songwriting so anyways from there you know uh it start, just started morphing and morphing and morphing and tweaking and tweaking h2o joined the ranks of the bands uh we would listen to and they were on the little more aggressive heavier side and then it just kind of snowballed into some heavier stuff i've never been um the big into like um metal by any means but um you know my my music tastes have always been rooted in pop music but the the punk scene in particular and the pop punk scene you know a, a lot of the you know more thrashy punk was never was never really my thing um but I, I have to credit rory and some other people that um kind of brought me into their fold uh skateboarding obviously i wasn't much i, I skate skated as a kid but um 
you know, I had rail guards, nose guards, and tail guards on my board uh, until I met Rory and some other people. And next thing you know, you pull that shit off, man. You don't, you don't skate with those things. Nobody uses a nose guard on their skateboard. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, credit credit goes to, to Rory and some of his crew kind of bringing me and Licky into the fold and teaching us the ways. All right. So, yeah, Brian, you were talking about uh, seeing Green Day live, and, and that was kind of like a life-changing experience. Um, I was at that show, too, and I definitely have, you know, some pretty fond memories, and that's kind of what led me to, to start playing in bands as well. And I think that kind of leads into to Rory, though. Like, you, you, you and Brian were already doing Longshot at that point. Um, so kind of talk about that era a little bit and, like, your upbringing with hardcore again. Yeah, so we... Basically, skateboarding was, was the thing that brought us all together and um, as far as bands wise like everyone skateboarded so that was the connection um uh and we just continued that bond through playing music we found out like mike gallo who was the, the guitar player or uh drummer or a guitar player for long shot uh and then brian played drums and we figured why not play start a band or whatever i don't i don't remember who was the person that wanted to start a band um one thing i do remember is we had two singers in the beginning i don't think we touched on that before <laughs> but we were, to be. you're, you're like uh i think i remember that uh but we were your 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 crappy high school uh punk casserole bands uh you know we covered rancid we covered less than jake uh, covered H2O um, so it was kind of like all those influences um, and we wrote some some songs and uh, that lasted from like 95-ish I would say 95 to like 97-ish did we ever play outside of Fairport or was it just Bowling Alley uh, and Teen we, Center shows Fairview, Bowling Alley, Teen Center uh, I think no we played Webster there was a Webster show we played that was like the that was kind of a cool show at the time it was like a fest-ish type show I remember James Reverend Sin's band was uh, one of his bands was playing I don't remember uh, Wade w Wade sang in a band I think Dead 13 I think I don't know why I remember that but um, that, that was like the biggest show i think we played like the outside of fairport and then we, i think we played in like discern's backyard <laughs> that sounds <laughs> familiar that rings a bell i think i think trap maybe travis rankin's backyard or something uh i think those are like the two shows outside of fairport a webster like bar weird bar show that like someone figured out how to like convince these convince them to have a show um and then i think that was it and then we just like ended up breaking up channel three had started while we were there as well but then channel three took off after that i think that was the deal yeah yeah so so channel three was more or less a uh you know <laughs> we we called it a ska punk band but um you know, it, it was a, a, a handful of younger, a, couple, a year or two years younger than me, um, kids from Fairport. And at that time, we were listening to Suicide Machines, Less Than Jake, and um, bands of the like. And, and as with, you know, the music that I've always been a part of, it's, it's listen to what you like, uh, take what you like, and, and try to recreate it. And, and that's more or less what we did 
pretty poorly to, to, to modern standards. But at the time, uh, the Fairport scene, you know, had had really kind of just got gotten going. There wasn't a lot of bands in Fairport playing punk rock, and, and we were them. Longshot was one of the first. Uh, a band named Sinker had some Fairport met people in it that were doing um, some pretty good pop punk stuff. And then Channel 3, you know, we were playing Scott Punk without a horn section. And we took our influences, we mimicked the songs, and we just started bringing out, you know, more and more kids from Fairport, which, in my opinion, helped kind of continue the snowball effect of uh what fairport ultimately became and it just kept growing and growing and growing to the point where as josh you've mentioned in previous episodes you could always count you know count on 20 30 or 40 kids from fairport coming out to the show and i uh, you know i know that all of these bands that we were a part of or closely affiliated with just just really helped that process yeah, and there's and there's obviously the teen center and as we'll get to in a little bit i even did a couple shows at that fairport vfw hall um, for a little while there. So obviously even putting shows on in your guys' backyard, so to speak, we knew, you know, we'd get a pretty good turnout there. Um, so Channel 3 kind of led to the formation of Standfast, though. Um, so kind of take me back to that and, you know, how that all formed for you guys. Right. From, what, from, from what I remember, uh, I think Standfast came about, the initial lineup was Brian wanted to play guitar. So Brian... Uh, started playing guitar and um, Mike Gullivan who played guitar in Longshot said that he'll play drums um, and uh, we had this guy Creeper play guitar and we started playing in his basement um, and then Brian Rao uh, on bass and you know someone like Brian Rao would probably remember how all this came together because um, he just has like that memory that you would, he would probably remember, but I I don't remember how it all came together. But I remember being in Creeper's basement a few times, playing, practicing. Um, we got convinced to play our first show uh, at the Claw at RIT. Um, Nikki was doing a show and she convinced us um, to do that, and that was kind of like a first show not in Fairport when we were like Fairport kids, and that's pretty much like as far as like music, like that's what we were comfortable with. Um, but <clears throat> during the end of Longshot uh, and Channel 3, Channel 3 played out of Fairport more than we ever did. So, like, we started to meet more people. We started to go to more shows. We started to connect with more people. So um, that was the Channel 3 effect, like, helped us, like, play a show outside of uh, our comfort zone. And, and, uh, and we were slightly comfortable because we were going to shows more. So that was June 2nd, 1998 is when uh, we played our first show. So um, that summer we just played around. Um, I think by the end of summer is when Creeper uh, got kicked out of the band, I think, because he, he, he just wasn't showing up for practices. And we were just like, okay, well, you know, we want a guitar player and we weren't maybe like syncing up stylistically who knows like either way he left the band we got john olick in the band to play guitar and then i don't know when brian and uh mike switched but they ended up switching instruments so brian's back on drums and uh then <clears throat> we recorded uh the demo um in 
September of that year. Uh, and uh, with that lineup, um, but back up to the Claw show, um, from what I think what we remember is that Break of Dawn played their first show that night. Um, and then the Claw, also, did Channel, Channel 3 play that show as well? I remember, I know Channel 3 played the Claw. And then so. Gray in between from Buffalo, which, which, which uh, Rob Antonucci's one of, he, he was in that band. So, um, that was that was that the beginning of that like almost like connecting point on a, on a lot of different levels um and one thing i guess i wanted to ask brian is is had you played guitar previously or you just kind of decided you wanted to play guitar in a band and not drums like before you ended up switching i, I started musically i started out by playing guitar and touching bass on what i've said a couple times just mimicking things i i picked up a guitar and basically a friend taught me how to read tabs and i remember the first song i ever learned was zombie by the cranberries and then um, disarmed by smashing pumpkins fun fact it's the exact same song as zombie by the cranberries um so i knew two songs by the end of an hour um but guitar you know that's that was my first instrument and uh, I, I couldn't tell you why, but a drum kit ended up appearing. Maybe my parents got it for me to their detriment because for a good decade we practiced in my parents' basement. And um, for what my parents thought my parents thought would be a good time, turned out to be a, a quite the nuisance on the neighbors. The booming of the kick drum, the slap of the snare—I mean, everyone knew when we were practicing. Um, so, so guitar, I, I knew how to play a little. I, I probably knew how to play it back then as well as I know how to play it now, which is not very good. I can play a hell of a lot of bar chords. Um, but that same goes for drums. You know, like when I look at Standfast musically, if I were to listen to it right now, which I can't say I have in at least a decade, but if I were to listen to it right now, I would I would be like, man, we were really bad. I, I truthfully would feel that way because to me, Standfast was a time and a place. You know, it was it was the place was Fairport in Rochester. That's where it was birthed. And there wasn't a lot of music like it that I was experiencing. And we were able to bring that, whether or not there was other bands doing that, besides the point. All I know is that we were able to bring our kind of music to a lot of people who hadn't experienced it as well, which helped them jump off to, to, to web out and start their own bands. Um, so, so anyways, um, the, the drums, um, I just, I, I think honestly what happened was well, we, we all tried out at all the instruments. I remember that. And it said, whoever's best is going to play the drums. And when we tried out, <laughs> I was the best drummer. And I was like, shit, I got to have it. I got to get a drum set. And I remember, um, Rory, do you remember that female fronted band in Fairport back in the day of Longshot? Oh, uh, no. You know what I'm talking about though, right? Uh, yes, it was, they were, it was, um, it was Corey Winrock was in that band, right? Corey Winrock. And what's the name of that girl that I dated for a minute in high school, who was also, who played drums in that band? Cause I played her. Susie drums. Ryrie? Susie Ryrie. So we, so we all played Susie Ryrie's drum set and, and I think I was the best. So uh, I, I was the new drummer, but with zero experience, Josh, no experience. Yeah. They were doing like an L7 type, like Elastica type vibe <laughs> trying thing. But we played, Longshot played like the Battle of the Bands with them or something. I think I remember that. So anyways, we switched around a lot of uh, instruments 
um, but ultimately ended up with uh, the lineup that we had for you know a handful of years with uh, me on drums, Mike on guitar, Olek on guitar, and Olek to me was someone I didn't know, and he brought a totally different skill set and style to the band. I mean, at the time, you know, we 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 didn't we, no one none of us played guitar like Olek. You know, <laughs> he was fast and furious, so uh, he brought he brought like his own touch to stand fast. Yeah, he came from the. I mean, I <clears throat> had known Olek and met Olek uh, in the early '90s because we ended up going to the same camps, like summer camp. Um, and when when my family moved out to Fairport in '97, '90s, no, in '93, uh, uh, I had no idea he was even out in Fairport and didn't meet him until a little bit later. But he, yeah, he came from more of like the metal side of things, so that influence. This definitely came from Olin. And I want to say you're, the camp you're talking about is Camp Stella Maris, and I think Ben Keefe yep. Ben Keefe would have gone there at one point with you too. Yeah, um, Ben and Matt. Yeah, yeah, Ben's gonna be on a future episode because there's definitely a tie into my early hardcore and punk years there, and, and he's obviously always got interesting things to say. Um, and I guess these are the kind of years where him and I are going to a lot of shows together that we're talking about right now too. Um, but yeah, so around that point, you guys went to Watchmen and recorded the first demo, and, and I guess by that point, you guys already kind of started playing out of town more too then? Yeah, a little bit. I think we we branched out uh, because we were just like we branched out of Fairport to Rochester. We did the same thing with Buffalo and Syracuse. Um, by that time, <clears throat> Brian started going to school in Buffalo for a year, um, and so he was going to shows and he met some people through that and then that's where i met ryan hex who started bringing me to shows um that was an incredible connection meeting ryan hex he just approached me one day in like the quad and i must have been wearing his shirt of some hardcore band and he said hey you want to go to this show and he picked me up and drove me out to a show it was like the jazz june and jejune uh, it was incredible <laughs> incredible experience Probably mid Carson July play too. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, definitely mid Carson. <laughs> um, but yeah, so exactly, and that was the time. That was the time and era that like you saw somebody with a sh punk or hardcore shirt, and you would actually approach them and you'd be like, "Hey, like, are you into this?" And that was the mentality that we all had, and we just kept branching out that way. And uh, I mean, from that point, like Hex started booking shows in Syracuse or. He booked shows in Syracuse, but then started booking shows in Buffalo. That's how we got to play a show with Kid Dynamite, which is like, that was insane for us. Like when that, when Kid Dynamite came out, we were, that was it. That was a band that we all wanted to be in and uh, <clears throat> was, was super influential for us uh, as a group of friends. Um, and then same thing with Syracuse, like that we started playing there and started branching out to like Wilkes-Barre and um, Potsdam. Uh, we didn't get too far in those early years, but that was instrumental like those areas for us. We're going to take a short break to listen to a song off the first Stamfast demo. The song's called Anything for a Friend.
And with Wilkes-Barre, I guess there's a tie-in because he ended up doing a split seven-inch with our time. Um, and there was also like an LP comp track that came out at one point. Was that all from the same session or was that like different different recordings? Um, the, the demo uh, that came out in 98 had two songs that went on the uh, Our Time split. Um, so that was the same recording session. And then after that, in early 99, we recorded uh, a de- another demo, a second demo, and put a song on that 12-inch comp uh, as well. And that was cool because we didn't know who was putting it out. We weren't friends with them. That was like the first non-friend contact type of thing that we had with the band. Um, and so that was like pretty wild for us at that time to, to think something like that could happen or that someone had heard of our band that we weren't directly friends with. Um, so that was that was a really cool experience. Yeah, that was the fun part about that era too. It's like that was like the the kind of like the wild west almost of the internet. Like the the internet had only been prevalent for like a couple of years, so a lot of the stuff that we were doing was more pen to paper. Like when you're making connections with people, I mean, those early shows you could probably you know email a few people, but a lot of that was like you know calling people and like we had talked about before, like MapQuest and stuff. And it was a lot of like good faith type things, I guess. Like did anything ever kind of go awry for you guys like with shows like that? With that in mind, I guess. West Virginia. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I mean, we <clears throat> we book shows, uh, and that was was that after the the seven inch or the full length came out, I think even, or was that before the full length? You remember? Um, all right, I think that was that was may have been uh, after the full length came out, Josh. Two thousands, we took a trip we booked a weekend and it was West Virginia was on this trip. And I think Wilkes-Barre was on this trip. Cause it was like, you're going South. Where else are you going to go four and a half hours away? And we had played Wilkes-Barre a bunch. Um, so we played there and we show up to the show in West Virginia. Uh, the show is happening, but the promoter's like, I, you guys can't play anymore. <laughs> well, I remember, I distinctly remember like, well, can we hang out and watch? Like, can we try to <laughs> And uh, the guy was like, no, you got to pay the door price. Uh, we're like, are you fucking serious? And he's like, you can set your stuff up outside if you want and, and try to sell some stuff. And we're like, fuck this. And I don't, I think we went, we like left and went on some like nature hike or something. I, from what I remember. It, you know, the internet was used to book shows. It just, the internet wasn't in your pocket. So, so yes. you book a show and you'd show up. And, um, you know, maybe you weren't on the show anymore. But this is, this is, a, this is a lot of us from Sandfest had a trip. We, we went out to see the last Harvest show in Minneapolis. And we all met up in Fredonia where a couple of us were going to school. We drove all the way to Minneapolis, I don't know, probably through the night. Show up. Definitely. We show up. We're kind of, maybe we start sleeping in the van a little bit. And we get out some college where the show's happening. And there's all these flyers, shows canceled, shows canceled. So what do we do? We say, fuck, we turn around, we drive home. We drive, you know, to Chicago, go up to the, whatever that tower, Sears Tower. We Then we drive the rest of the way back to Fredonia only to find out the goddamn show happened. But, you know, we didn't have easy access to any of this stuff. My point is, you know, you didn't know till you got there. You didn't know till you got home what actually happened. Yeah, and we, and there was the phone number on the 
the flyer, the show flyer, and we called it, no answers, and then the voicemail was like, the show's canceled. And then so it's like, what the fuck are you supposed to do? And you know, we're just like, all right, I guess we'll uh, drive back. <laughs> but that was, you know, you just you, you just say fuck it and make the best of, of certain situations, and that was the the spirit that that we had. The next Stamfest song is off their split seven inch with Our Time, and it's called Wishing Is For Suckers. couple other uh you know tour questions in a, in a minute there but i guess we had kind of started touching on the full length too um so by this point you guys were pretty much it was more or less the lineup you ended up you know keeping with the band for the rest of the time you're in the band i mean i think you, you swapped out kenton for for uh nate at that point right or yeah so ken came along after mike decided to leave the band uh mike just wasn't into it mike was just way into being active and doing other shit 
and which is cool. Like we, he was just like, I think it came down to, I think, uh, I think well, Rao and Mike left the band around at the same time. Uh, and then we got Licky to play bass, um, which was easy. He was friends with us. He was around us all the time and he just, it was easy I think to he was, like. He, he was coming to practices, anyways. Yeah, I feel like he was he just was there just in the basement, always. You know. Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. And he was always there. Um, uh, and then, you know, Mike was just hard to get in touch with, and we were just like, "Do you want to do a band in school? If you don't, it's it's not a big deal." And so, he was like, "Yeah, no." And then we got Kenton to play in the band, which you know Brian had that connection because of Channel Three, and Kenton was a fucking phenomenal guitar player um so he came on really like maybe a month and a half before we even recorded the full length that was like a tight uh fit in i think i remember and uh yeah then we recorded that full length that watchman um with ola kenton uh me brian and uh licky um three days of uh with with Doug, um, and I don't remember much about that at all. The the one thing I remember is the rain. Uh, Josh, you might get a kick out of this. There was a point where we're recording, and there's a thunderstorm, and and Doug, maybe Rory was recording vocals, and Doug just kind of said, you know, grab the mic, grab the mic, get outside, and he, he grabbed enough cables so we could hold the mic outside, and I don't know if it was Doug or Rory was just holding the mic into the air recording thunder and lightning which i i don't know is that the, the very beginning of the record or it's right before the last song there's there's a sound of rain and thunder I, that's the only thing i remember about that process what's what's funny is i've never asked you guys about that i do vaguely remember that being on that record and i'm sure you know people listening to this will have heard it and wondered the same thing so it's, it's interesting to hear that uh that backstory i guess um i mean i now that you say that i remember it but i Maybe Licky was the one holding it, because that would make sense to me. But I don't I remember. I remember the thunder, and every time we went to watch Mighty Taco. <laughs> yeah, Mighty Taco. Anytime you went to Buffalo, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Mighty Taco was always good. Doug White was always good, too. I, I, like I was telling you guys before we started the interview, I definitely want to get him on, on an episode. Um, oh, yeah, so the funny part about the full length... And this kind of goes back to like the, the the early internet and like still kind of writing letters. I think I, I had referenced this uh, a while back, Rory, with you. Um, I had I had told you I, I wanted to do a split record with you guys in the band Curl Up and Die from the West Coast, but I like wrote those guys a letter, or emailed them or something, and like a couple weeks passed, and they never got back to me. So I was like, Yo, let's just do a full length instead, you know. And it's just funny how things would work out back then. Like it was just like. I mean, I guess it might be the same now with record labels and bands and stuff like that. Well, I mean, now there's probably not as much going on at all with, you know, everything happening. But, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, funny how things can kind of work out where you would just, like, it was like a handshake type thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, let's just do this. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And that, I think that was, like, the, the connecting point. Is like, we all knew each other, and that was, like, the, we all wanted it to be awesome and have fun and, and do it, and we had the same expectations and uh, the energy, like you were booking shows at that point, um, and we were, you know, playing a bunch more rounds, and uh, that's what we all were into at that time. 
and we're putting our energy into it when everyone wasn't in school. The next Stanfast song is called Hero, and it's off their full length, Kill the Spirit of Gravity, on Blatherskite Records. that was like perfect timing for me because that was like I had put out like one other split seven inch with somebody before that I think Ben and I actually had done a like a split release and then that that CD kind of basically got the label started for me and then you know from there it was like a boom 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 type thing where I could just like ask more bands to do stuff and it's just funny that you know like you're saying there's always that starting point that connection where everything kind of connects together and now after this you guys started doing like more more like weekends and I, I mean I know there was the one full U.S. tour that we'll dive into as much as we can because not really much <laughs> happened, obviously. But like, what like what was the most you guys did aside from that? Then just like like a week here and there or something like that, or did we did we ever even do anything longer than a weekend? I have no memory of it. Uh, <laughs> I, have, I have memories of the of the full U.S. tour. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, besides that, I, I think on. 
I remember, I remember there being some other sh- kind of just that more regional show type thing. I don't remember uh, much beyond that. After that, I think we did a lot of that. We did a lot of regional stuff. The same areas: Buffalo, Rochester. Uh, we played um, some of the cooler tours that would come through. We would play. Um, we played that at the drive-in show and at the bug jar. That's my one of my best memories was from Stanfast was playing that at the drive-in show. Unbelievable. It was wild. Uh, and then we, you know, um, got to play the before that was that Kid Dynamite show. That was cool. And then we got to play with like Buried Alive and Reach the Sky. Uh, I forget. Did you you didn't book that show? Did you? I think it was was that Brendan. It was probably Brendan. Brendan booked a lot of Buried Alive, Reach the Sky shows back then. Um, so we got that was cool. I mean, so we got to play a bunch of those shows and kind of branch out a little bit. Uh, maybe we played. Did we we played Ohio and Madison, Wisconsin, and maybe a little bit out that way, but uh, not a ton. Um, and I think I think that's I think that's why the the full U.S. tour hurt so much is because. You know, we went from at most maybe a four-show stint to what was soon to be a thirty-show or thirty days, you know, or or however long that was supposed to be, which was ultimately doomed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like we like I said before, it's like going from a band that played Fairport all of a sudden played Rochester, never expected to play outside of Rochester. It happening was just cool, and it was just fun, and it was a way for us to get together and play and yeah that u.s tour was a <laughs> that was something <laughs> and that's obviously come up on here before with rob and as i mentioned on there and, and then another connection back to hex too that was mainly hex and i that that, that booked that uh that tour unfortunately you know we didn't get too Thanks. many com- we didn't get too many confirmations but you know ultimately i guess it didn't really matter because of what happened in ohio the first day um did either one of you guys go back and watch that that documentary when I posted I, I it? I watched it. It brought yeah. back so many great memories. Uh, you know, just watching it, I was dying, laughing. And to be honest, I had no idea what happened after that first day. After that first day, we went home. I went back to working or whatever the hell I was doing, and you know, that was that. And and I, I don't even know that I caught caught wind of what had happened to break, uh, building on fire for the next month and a half so 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 that i'm really i think matt words did an impeccable job i i honestly feel like that documentary holds up you know it's not only and, and i'd like to think that's not it's not because i have some connections with those people i know that's part of it but i think it's really well done it's it's really smart and it's like sensitive and i, I just thought it was a fantastic fantastic hour yeah, I, I haven't watched that in a very long time, so uh, I'll have to revisit that. But uh, like Brian said, like I had no connection with what was going on that entire time that they were out, like zero. Um, and uh, to <laughs> have our tour collapse basically in the first day was just brutal. Uh, for, for anyone who, who hasn't seen that documentary, basically what happened is Building on Fire and Stand Fast and a, and a couple people with each band just went out for however long. It was meant to be at least a month long, if not more, of a tour. And uh, Building on Fire was in a minivan. 
Standfast had the was this the van we sh- we did we share a van with Break uh, Down at that point that one I think uh, so I that or John was out of the band and was doing head on maybe we we're doing the disaster it. was it the disaster I think it would disaster. have been the disaster by then yeah because it was two thousand one it was a newish van it was yeah. like a, a newish van I remember we bought and we had a trailer and and more or less uh, wait was it the trailer with the blue stripes. No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, anyways, we the with within the first day we got we made it to was it Elyria, Ohio? Exactly. And yeah. the van just broke down, and we met, we managed to get it to a parking lot of a mall. We managed to get the the van in to be seen, and we couldn't afford the repairs necessary. So, um, building on fire went on. Uh, Standfast went home, and before we went home, we we tried to. Our, I think the original idea was we were going to throw the van off a cliff, and I think we were pretty serious about it. We were like, let's find a cliff, let's, drive, let's, let's scratch the VIN number off of it, and just drive it off the cliff. I swear to God, I think we were close to that, um, and I think ultimately the VIN number would come back to John twenty five, and you know, level more level headed heads prevailed. And I think we we brought it to it. Did we bring it to a salvage yard? And ha- did we watch it get tr- compacted? I feel like I remember watching the van get crushed. <laughs> I don't remember that. I remember it getting towed away. I think maybe, but I don't remember much else of that. Uh, no, some of us had to go, I believe, to the junkyard. With the t- oh, okay, maybe with the, with the tow. Um, I remember potentially having to do that. So, anyways. Josh, and what's funny, Josh, is I didn't even, I honestly, because my memory of all this is so hazy, watching that, I didn't I didn't know you were there. I didn't remember you were there. I didn't remember all too much about it, but I didn't remember you were there until I honestly saw you in that video. And I was like, holy shit, Josh was there. And then you talked about it on your a previous episode with Rob. I definitely remember that that fucking U-Haul ride home. <laughs> and, 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 and neither of you probably remember it too well because you three were in the fucking front seat. I, no, no. I think Nate. I think Nate was in the front seat. You guys uh, might. You guys might have yeah, swapped yeah. back and forth. If anything. Maybe. Maybe. Me and John were definitely in the front the whole way. Yeah. yeah um, the back of the back of a box truck in the dead heat of the summer with equipment that hardly filled the box truck. So any turns, that equipment started rolling, <laughs> and it was you just were running, dodging, making sure the. The amps didn't hit you. So anyways, the tour was shot. We all went back home with our tail between our legs. And our summer was over. You know, it sucked. Yeah. Yeah, I ended up yeah. staying in Buffalo for like two weeks. Um, but kind of like I was saying about like it being a bad thing, you having a couple funny memories uh, still. I'm sure you guys do too from that day. Um, sometimes, you know, you'll just get random thoughts will pop in your head like like from back in the day or whatever. And I always have a funny memory of that. I got to either your house or like somebody's house. We all met up at late, late at night that night, and we were supposed to be out for like Brian said, like three weeks or a month. And I brought a fucking suitcase, like an old school style suitcase. <laughs> and and Brian and Licky were like just like laughing at me, like you're doing now, like the whole time. And I'm like, what? I wanted to be prepared or whatever, you know. And obviously, it's even funnier now that the shit didn't end up happening. And I, and I want to say you probably made fun of me when we were transferring luggage over to the U-Haul or whatever, like, now you got to ride in the back of my fucking suitcase or whatever. Um, and I don't know if I had a girlfriend at the time. I want to say somebody made me a bunch of, like, desserts and, like, sweets and shit to bring for, like, the first couple of days or whatever. And I had, like, a Tupperware of them just sitting there on the floor in, in like, your your driveway or whoever's driveway. You can already see where this is going, Brian. 
And at one point, I see, like, Olek or Licky or somebody, like, eating one of these fucking sweets. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Brian, I guess Olek found those. Do you want to try those, too? And you're like, oh, no, dude. I already offered them to him. Welcome to the fast. Or something like that, you know? And it's like one big community, I guess, you know? <laughs> uh, can I apologize now for that? I'm sorry. No, dude, I'm telling you. It, it gives me a laugh still to this day. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, like I said, some, you'll just think of random shit like that. And I always laugh when I think of that because... It's like, why did I need to bring this, like, 1965 suitcase, for one, you know? And then it's like, you guys ate, like, the whole dessert before we even, like, made it to Illyria, you know? <laughs> that, was, that was commonplace. You bring something in the van, it's everybody's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's because we were just so tight at that time. And Nate was, Nate joined the band before that. So that was Nate's first, like... I think out of town experience with some band breaking down and us having to drive back to fucking Rochester. Man, and he's and he stuck with you guys after that too. Man, what a trooper! Uh, you know, um, but that kind of relates to something that I don't know if you wrote it in a zine or on a blog back in the day, Rory. But you were talking about like, and this might it, obviously we didn't see much of it this day. Um, but you had mentioned something about a, a thing called like tour magic, and like when you're on tour. Like just different shit will happen, and like like, and it'll brighten up the mood or whatever, you know. Like, did anything like that ever happen with Stanfest, or is that more something you kind of discovered, like, with being in, in other bands down the road? I think that happened without us knowing it. I mean, like, <clears throat> yeah, we were all pissed about this like situation of of, of uh, you know the tour not happening, but at this at the same time, we never questioned the band. It was just the situation, and we just made the best that we could uh i mean i would say tour magic would be like i vividly remember specifically this is a, a standfast moment was um <clears throat> we were coming back from the west virginia debacle and uh nate was in the band at that time so it's like we were all driving back and we had two of our friends both named john with us um and uh for whatever reason, the radio was on because obviously this is, you either bring a box of tapes or a booklet of CDs. And there was, I don't think any of us, there was an iPod thing happening, but I vividly remember pulling into uh, a Wegmans parking lot. Um, but on the way getting to there, uh, Queen was on the radio and one by one, everyone just started singing Queen at the top of their lungs <laughs> pulled into this parking lot it was just the, the most fantastic moment it was just like this show was shitty like we didn't even get to play we got told we had you know basically we couldn't even get in to hang out and watch the show but you know we were just like you know fuck it like let's go do something else and we're just with each other and friends and and then ultimately that was what the most important part about that band was is, is being around each other and, and having that happen um you know, there's lots of tour magic that I that I've been a part of, uh, and but those are the moments that you remember and look back on most vividly and fondly, in my opinion. Because um, I couldn't tell you what happens at every show that on tour. Like, and I'm sure Brian can relate to that too. It's like sometimes shows are just the same. You get there, you load in, you play a show, you meet a few cool people it's awesome like obviously that's what you want to do but like a lot of the cities look the same because you don't get to explore you don't get to like get out there and, and do those weird things that you want to do 
And Brian, I guess, do you have anything to add to that with like any kind of like, you know, tour magic and like fun stories from that era? No, nothing really too specific, but I will reiterate what Rory just said as being the truth. I mean, a lot of times, for my experience, um, the majority of bands that I was in, they, you know, we, we weren't out to, you know, be a professional um, touring paid where this would li- we could live our lives off of the salaries we'd make off of the band. It was it was honestly a chance to do two things. It was one, hang out, and two, travel. And if we could play shows and pay for that experience, it was fantastic. And kind of what Rory just said, a lot of a lot of my best memories aren't necessarily of the shows. They're the fact that you know, for the few days, and what we're what I'm referencing is Rory said, a lot of shows kind of seem the same. You don't get to experience the cities um, that you travel to, but a lot of the shows where you do get to experience it's just my best memories are with my friends and not, a lot of these memories aren't necessarily stand bad memories because uh, we didn't travel that much we didn't get the opportunity to travel that much but with other bands i've been a part of that have been able to travel the times when you have downtime and you do something um so so I, yeah no specific tour magic stories but um i think rory's hit the hit the nail on the head with that one I do remember funny situations that we that happened with us though, like even with regional shows. And this is like because hey, we have a show, meet up at this spot, and then we're all gonna go, right? I remember vividly one <clears throat> time uh, we had a show in Buffalo, and we were waiting on Olick, and we were calling him and calling him and calling him, and he never showed up. And we're like, well, <laughs> we got a show to play, so we all we went home. instead of canceling, we just drove to the show and played as a floor piece um and i think it was the same night as like an alkaline trio hot water music show in buffalo and so we're like he must have just gone to that show uh (laughs) instead um but we're like yeah fuck it like let's play play the show anyway (laughs) i remember like there's just like stupid shit like that that it just happened and you just you don't take it too personally you get boomed out for a moment you're like you know whatever like it'll be fine just roll with it. Yeah, and it's funny. It's not really a standfast memory, but like from that same era, like you and I a couple months ago were talking about, like we we rolled out of that last ten yard fight show, and I think you and I probably collectively have some good memories from the show. But I have just as many like good and funny memories from just walking around Boston and like giving fake names at, like a restaurant and just like all sorts <laughs> of like it, it's just, it just goes back to what you're saying. Like whenever you go on like a road trip like that, like you, the memories are, are more like what happens on the way there than like when you're actually there half the time. It seems like you know. Um, yeah. but um so i guess was there just i know you put out the seven inch with andy with alone records was that pretty much the yeah. last release that Stanfast ended up doing at that point then we did that i don't even know how that came about maybe because uh because andy's from oswego and i was dating a girl at the time that went to oswego and uh that's how we met we played some shows in oswego and we did that, and then we did our last two songs before the last show. We recorded two more songs uh, and gave them away, right? I think. Was it at the last show or before the last show we gave them away? Something something like that happened. Um, that we just were like, we have these two songs. Let's finish them, record them, and burn a bunch of CDs and just give them out. Um, and I think those last, that last seven inch and the last two songs we wrote were like the best versions of the band. Um, uh, you know, we grew up 
playing music and learning how to be a band in Stanfest. I think um, how to communicate with each other and then play our instruments in a, or do what we do in, in the band. Um, and just personal growth. I mean, we're all, you think about all young kids and figuring, figuring it out. Um, so that's, I mean, you know, I think that last seven inch and uh, those last two songs are, I haven't listened to them in a long time, but I remember them being the best output that we did. Um, I hope to believe that, I don't know, I, maybe I'll listen to them and see if they still stand up. I don't know. <laughs> I always <laughs> like remember. They exist somewhere. I always remember really liking that last seven inch. And, and I mean, a Andrew from Alone Records was at a lot of shows back then, too. Uh, he put out a lot of good records, so he's also somebody I'd like to try to, you know, get on here at some point to talk about all those releases and stuff like that. Um, but especially that last seven inch, and then just in general, too, like your lyrics were always pretty personal, uh, Rory. Was that something that was kind of hard for you to do, or was it more just like getting shit off your chest and it was a good release? I mean, always like for me, writing was always has always been personal because if I can't relate to it, um, like it just doesn't make sense to me. And like part of being in a hardcore punk band was was that's a vehicle to get all this shit out. Um, it's a vehicle to like uh, communicate thoughts and feelings in a in a place that you felt was safe and accepting of like a bunch of bunch of different things happening in the world. Um, so especially with the with the song Elucidate, you know, like I spent a long time trying to figure out uh, what that was and, and, and how that affected me. Um, and I remember coming to the band and saying, Hey, I have a song that I want, want to like, I, I have these lyrics and this idea and I want to communicate this. Um, and I think the bond of the friendship was just like, everyone was just like, fuck yeah. Like, let's do this. Like, like, like absolutely we support this. Like, this is important. Um, and for those that don't are, don't know about what the song's about. Um, the song is, is, is about, uh, sexual abuse and, and something I went through in my life, uh, as a young kid. Um, you know, like my, mom was a single mom at the time and we went to a babysitter and you know uh i was sexually abused by our babysitter's kids um and feeling helpless and, and not understanding that as like an almost 40 year old adult i'm just like that is fucking crazy to like think about and step back um as a young 20 something i was like you know uh communicating it in the best way i possibly could um, but being honest to, to that. And uh, I think it's important for us to put ourselves out there a little bit to get people to understand that hardcore punk was, was about more than just uh, screaming about uh, unity or friendship. Um, it was, it was, there's multiple layers to it. And um, I think that was important for me to get it out there um, and connect uh, with other people in a supportive way or in a comforting way that people could open up to me about something that may have happened in their life. The next Stamfest song is called Elucidate, and it's off their final 7-inch.
yeah, it's always good to have like a community like that where you can feel, you know, welcome and safe like that. You know, I know sometimes, especially in more recent years, hardcore hasn't exactly been like that, but um, for the most part, you know, how we grew up, it was definitely a community vibe where we all kind of felt safe with each other. Um, and I guess, Brian, a question for you kind of related to that, to that, like, did, did you guys write the music all beforehand? And like, who was like writing the music? And like, when you had something like as intense as what Rory was talking about putting in a song, like, did you guys already have music ready to go? Or was it kind of like, this song has to be like pretty, pretty intense, but it's some pretty intense lyrical matter. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I, I don't know that Rory, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know that you personally were, um, you know, you weren't there writing riffs uh, or con- contributing riffs. You, he was there um, with his ideas in the practices. Who was writing the music? I mean, I, I, I know damn well it wasn't Licky. Uh, I know it must have been some parts me. I don't know if Morris was Morris bringing stuff to the table, maybe near the tail end. And I know yeah, you all look at Morris at the, at the end for sure. Right. So, so um, you know, we, we would just kind of write songs and let Rory do his thing. You know, touching base on what just Rory went through, uh, went over. You know, like to know Rory is to know this is the man that doesn't mince his words. You know, he, he's not he's not beating around the subject by any means. You know, Rory's been someone who's always spoken his mind and spoken his feelings, and that's one of the reasons why, as a group, we all gravitated to him. That's one of the reasons why, as a frontman, he's been as successful as he has been and he's you know gone on to you know gather more people involved and more people interested in the hardcore scene and a lot of it has to do with the music but a damn well a lot of it has to do with rory's presence and rory's demeanor and um you know the last few times i've seen you rory you you haven't had as much banter um but a lot of the times but back in the day when stan fast was doing his thing rory was he was running his mouth. If he wasn't screaming in between songs, he was running his mouth about something. And, and that's one of the reasons we all fell in love with him, especially as our front man and stand fast. So uh, the music, you know, it was a collective, I'd have to say. Uh, and then Olick would always throw some, some real, you know, some real shreds in there, regardless of what we all wanted or not. And, uh, and, uh, and then Rory, we just let Rory do his thing. But again, to reiterate, I know damn well Licky had no part in writing <laughs> um you know you referenced the the first show being on june 2nd a couple times and i couldn't for the life of me i I guess you'd remember a date because you're in the band but it makes more sense to me now because i'm thinking about when the last show was and it was like june 1st or whatever right like it was exactly four years pretty much to the day of the the first show and what's interesting about that is like i was talking to my buddy jeremy recently about like how long that like three or four years seems when you're young versus how long it seems now that we're older you know what i mean like and back then like like six months seemed like forever and now it's like it goes by in the blink of an eye so i guess a couple things here to unpack um one would be you guys played your first and last show with break of dawn which is obviously really cool um and then like let's kind of touch on the whole four years thing like how, how long did that feel like for you guys and like you know you obviously got like some pretty good experience in that time period about for yeah. Brian, but felt forever. It felt like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it felt like a lifetime in a weird way. Like, uh, for me personally, like, <clears throat> you know, Brian and, and Licky, uh, you know, went away to school. So it was like, a, you know, one of those like things where people were still in college doing their thing and we were still doing our band because that's what we love to do. Um, 
but it's yeah it felt like a not only like a long time but like it felt like uh such a growing experience as as people um you know i think we we grew up a lot at that in in those moments and in that time and within that band um so you know yeah it does four years right now feels like a snap of the fingers um compared to compared to four years then for sure i guess do you have anything you want to add to all that brian or uh, you know, it's it's just the same. Uh, you know, I didn't know it was a band that was only around for four years, and and I say only around just to reiterate what you both have said. It goes by, it goes by quick these days. But I didn't know it was only four years until you just said it. You know, to me, it felt like a, a long time. I think that'd have to be because, you know, we had seen such a change in in ourselves, but also in our music and in our friendships and you know it was such developmental times in our lives and we were learning new things and doing things we had never done before we were we were traveling we were and again you know I don't, we weren't traveling that much but way back in the day if you were going to west virginia you know that you were fucking traveling you know even just for a day if you were going to ohio hell yeah you know if you're going to oswego oh shit we're going to oswego pack the bags you know <laughs> you buckle up this is gonna be a trip so a lot of new experiences, um, a lot of, you know, it just, it, it did feel like a lot longer than just four years. Yeah, and I can definitely relate to, like, the distance seeming so far back then, because I remember you guys, especially you were already telling me about that Harvest experience when we were younger, and just thinking, like, damn, that's, like, over 30 hours plus that they went, like, in a car, like, straight through, and I was just, like, like, my mind was blown by that, because I never really had, had really traveled too far in general anyways at that point, you know, and then, like, maybe three or four years later we would be like going in cars to like Gainesville and shit like that for fast and it's just like the amount of miles that you put in to doing all this shit is just crazy you know it's it just goes shows the dedication I guess um so that pretty much wraps up the stand fast questions I guess I just have a few other uh kind of like tie-in questions um and, and and like right now I guess more like current events type thing and it's funny Rory you would mention that that four years goes by like the snap of a finger now because I think we're all kind of glad that you know the the orange-faced goblin that's that's kind of running the show here now the four years is almost up i mean obviously you know we could we could talk about that for hours because you know how much better is it really going to be with the other guy um but more what i'm more interested in talking about and rory some of the stuff you and i touched on on the last episode um but i guess to start off in general like how has the COVID affected you brian and like you know moving forward like what do you think things are gonna be like for you with it with with working in restaurants and stuff yeah, so, so how it's affected me is, uh, so I own a, a restaurant right now called Swillburger at the Playhouse, and when, when this stuff started going down, I think uh, out of the other restaurants that I knew, we were the first ones to be like, all right, this shit, I mean, one of my business partners was talking about this as it slowly started trickling into the West Coast, and she was telling us, this is going to be bad, this is going to be bad, this is going to be bad, and for the longest time, I tried to be like, okay, let's settle down and then slowly but surely you know we started seeing things so um i think it was a sunday i think it was mandatory for places to start closing on a tuesday but on that sunday we we just were like okay this is fucked sunday morning i remember being there i remember um feeling really stressed out and i said i just called my partners and said listen i'm shutting down this is too much we'll touch base and 
so business halted obviously instantly and didn't restart until just a few weeks ago which has been severely detrimental to the business um family wise it's been awesome because i've had time i have a young daughter who's 18 months old and i've had time that i've never had before to spend and obviously that's stressful and uh, um you know and sometimes you don't necessarily want to be there because things are hard but uh but at the end of the day, I've created a bond that I didn't have before um, with my daughter, and she's she's starting to I'm starting to rise in the ranks of importance in her life, which is really cool. Um, uh, the 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 kicker was that um, we have a pizza shop that uh, I'm trying to get open and have been planning to get open, and is is draining money from the the, the mother business, which is Swillburger, which is hemorrhaging money. Um, during the COVID shutdown, so now you know that's hemorrhaging money faster, um, while the pizza shop still kind of pulls and takes money from it. But um, ultimately, I'm very concerned about Playhouse and Swillburger. It's a it's a business meant to run on volume, it's meant to run with people, a lot of hands on, a lot of community gathering, a lot of socializing. And right now, we're seeing um, you know what a second wave looks like in certain places, and how we don't want to deal with it, and how we don't want to jeopardize anyone self-safety at that business and thankfully the staff are all you know in unison with us in that in that way so right now that business is just on the takeout model uh the pizza industry which i'm delving into in the next few weeks when we get open um is the one sector of the food industry which was virtually untouched and if not saw a rise in business because it's such it's built to be a to-go business um so we're, we're hoping that that goes well. Uh, I'm, I'm not looking forward to it in certain ways because it will take away from my family time and being able to spend as much time as I have right now with my wife and daughter and dog. But um, business-wise, it's just a, it's got to happen in order to keep everybody afloat. So, um, you know, I think it's really wild, as everyone does. You know, this is not something I expected. I, you know, I was concerned when I first started seeing it in the U.S., uh, but you know, I didn't expect. I, I had a strange um, feeling the other night. Or the other day, I was driving somewhere, and there was a commercial on for um, back to school savings. And I and I honestly was like, "Holy shit! Is this? Am I in a dream? Like, is this really happening right now?" Just seeing the division that this has caused, um, not not to mention the damage and the deaths. Um, but the world's, you know, the U.S. in particular is in a very, you know scary spot right now yeah it definitely is and that would tie into the to the next question i have but i guess um rory like i said you and i kind of talked about covid quite a bit on the small business but if you want to touch on you know just how it's affected you and just kind of how things have been since you and i last uh talked on that episode too i guess yeah so since then uh we've reopened um our hours but we're still closed to the public so we're just still doing the takeout walk-up window at our shop, uh, and um, so we're going to continue that until you know, like Brian said, like we feel safe and comfortable. Like coffee shops are a social, community-based business. Um, before, when we were starting, just to do takeout only and not letting people sit in before we everyone shut down, shut down. People still lingered and hung out because people wanted to see each other. So we want to avoid that at all costs. We don't want to. You know, we want to keep our team safe and we want to be able to uh, still operate as long as possible. Um, you know, like people are super supportive uh, so far, which has been great. But, uh, 
this is nothing I think anyone that works in any hospitality service retail industry ever wants to deal with because this is it's just brutal um, it's stressful uh, to navigate people but also to to take care of everybody and keep people safe um, and it's just exhausting um, but we're doing the best we can I think most of our uh, the people that I know that operate small businesses or in hospitality are doing uh, really great work and doing the best they can with, with the resources that they have. So looking forward to the future. <laughs> yeah, as, as, as bleak as that might be, and I guess that would kind of touch on the next point that Brian was kind of referencing while saying we're, we're living in kind of dark times right now. And again, a lot of this can be blamed on, you know, the, the moron in, in Washington right now. Um, but you know, with, with a lot of what's going on with the police and stuff lately, we've definitely seen a resurgence in Black Lives Matter. And obviously, Rory, you, you know, you, you, and Brian too, for that matter, but, but like, Rory, you've been open and stuff. Like, you guys have businesses, like, right downtown. Um, and one thing that I kind of noticed that you, you kind of put out a statement on, like, social media or whatever a few weeks ago, like, when everything was kind of really going, going crazy, like, thanking people for, you know, being concerned about your store. But you even said, like, that, you know, the people's lives that have been lost are more important than the property right now. So kind of touch on that a little bit, I guess, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, <clears throat> what it comes down to it is that uh, would it suck if someone broke into our business and, 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 and hurt it? Yeah, but, like, where does that leave uh, the bigger conversation? The bigger conversation is why is this happening? What started this? Um, why has it gotten to this point that there, has been, there hasn't been any action and it's all been inaction? Um, that's the real conversation and uh you know we believe that it's you know people over property like if, if things get burned up or destroyed uh it's super unfortunate but at the same time it's the result of years years of systematic racism that has gone on uh in this country and you know <clears throat> we as white people just need to realize and how we view the world isn't how the world is viewed through by everybody and we need to take a step back uh and listen and educate ourselves and really come to terms with the fact that we have a lot to do to make space for people and um that we are privileged beyond uh beyond anything that we can see you know like i being a dad to now is like change my view in ways that i can't imagine um but the reference that I make is that when someone talks to me and says they don't have white privilege, I ultimately will say this. Growing up, and maybe you both have had this experience, I don't know, but growing up, my parents have never told me or talked to me about how to act when the police are around. They've never talked to me and educated me on how I should properly uh, you know, show my hands or how I should... Um, uncover my face or, or, or maneuvered in those situations. I'm privileged because that conversation never existed growing up and that getting pulled over by the cops doesn't result in me having to worry about those, those things. And that's just like a small piece um, of a picture that I think a lot of people don't realize. Um, that's what a lot of, uh, of black folks have to go through at a very young age, at a very young age. And, and it's just, you know, I hope that uh, that we 
can really move forward uh, in a way that we're making space and listening to these people um, and educate ourselves a lot more um, and, and listen to what they're saying. Yeah, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head there with listening and just and just understanding is, is what's really important. Um, but you know, I guess uh, Brian, do you have anything to add to that or? Uh, you know, I, I think for me, uh, watching everything unfold in the recent months, you know, it's it's a hard thing for me to talk about. It touches on a lot of what Rory just said. It's it's a big part about it is guilt because uh, I'm not very well educated on what other people go through. It's privilege because I'm not really, you know, I, I have my own life experiences and those are growing up in a suburb and, and living comfortably and, um, you know, having the privilege of having financial support from, you know, my family to, to help me start a business or to help me um, put a down payment on my first house, you know, like, um, it's so, so the guilt of not really, you know, being able to relate. So to me, it's been more about what a couple of things you both just touched on the end is that listening and learning and, and doing your best to help in the ways you can. But at the same time, not trying to, um, you know, project my voice too much, because ultimately what I know is secondhand. It's not firsthand experience. Yeah, I pretty much agree with what you're saying there. That's why I've been mainly listening and not really trying to like add a different take to it or anything like that. But one thing I have been hoping for, and I've kind of touched on when I've talked to people these last few episodes is that, you know, and I think we can all kind of agree on this, that like, I hope some real good change does come from all this. Cause like a lot of times you'll see eras like this where, and we've never really seen an era quite like this, obviously, but you know what I mean? Like where there's a lot of protesting and then just like not a lot of change comes from it. So hopefully, you know, we can see some good positive change moving forward. Um, but I guess that would kind of touch into my next question too. Like, obviously, like there is the white privilege, but at the same time, like we're all kind of the three of us and like anybody who kind of came up from my era, for the most part, I would think we're all kind of like-minded and like a lot of our beliefs, they're not exactly the same, but you know what I mean? Like we all kind of like learned a lot from hardcore and punk for that matter too. Um, so I guess for each of you guys, like what did you guys take from hardcore and punk that you've been able to adapt to like everyday experiences? For, for me, Josh, and I'll tackle that one real quick, is like touching back on all the things we've talked about, all the all the tour problems we've had, all the times we, you know, showed up and there was no show or um, the van broke down in the middle of Ohio. To me, it's been just I feel like that's transitioned really well into being able to pivot and, and move on. Um, and that for me is personally, but also business wise, you know, there's always it's a restaurant. There's so many wheels to grease and there's so many moving parts and there's always something breaking and there's always somebody who's who's got a problem and there's always a customer complaining no matter what and being able to like handle a situation and, and move on i feel like that's been a key characteristic that punk and hardcore taught me and it, and it, and it wasn't necessarily a values thing or um, a mindset thing um, about a social political uh, topic it, it was just something that was brought on and I think mostly because of touring and again you know we touch on Stanfast didn't have all too much experience with the touring scene and and half of them were bad but going on for the next decade being in bands that would travel and would tour um, not if you can't if you can't go with the flow then get the fuck off the road you know like you're not going to be successful um, so being able to just 
just learning i think tour in particular as opposed to necessarily punk and hardcore the touring aspect has been monumental in the way i've you know gone about and dealt with problems that have um, surfaced i mean to figure i mean brian nailed it i mean what punk and hardcore i think has done for any business owner is like you show up you figure it out you don't have all the tools in the toolbox you figure it out you you make do with what you have and that's important and and you put your best efforts out there and that's that's the connecting point is that you know especially in hospitality and service is like you stand alone on um how you treat people and i think a lot of uh hardcore punk is that too is like you take people as they show up and you and you just connect with them and you you be honest with yourself um but and you don't run away from problems you have to figure it out and being in a band is like being in a relationship with multiple people at the same time you're stuck in a van you're stuck in a band practice you're stuck in a recording situation and you're constantly communicating and trying to talk things out and work things out and you're gonna butt heads and you're gonna yell at each other and you're gonna be upset and frustrated but you come back to it um and that's important same thing with running a business it's like there's half the stuff you don't want to do but you just do it because you like the other half of the stuff um and there's an excitement to the other half of the stuff that drives everything else um you know it's like i'm not <clears throat> i would never have liked recording vocals in, in my time of doing bands but i like playing shows and i like traveling and i like to connect with people and that's what keeps me doing it you know um and it's same thing with like there's certain stuff that i don't like to do in business but you just do it um because you like the other things about it and hopefully that other stuff is the stuff that you remember just like the friendships and and uh the the memories of hanging out rather than most most of the shows um because i do you know like every member of Stampfast from the, la the last lineup is you know now in the rochester area and uh is, we're all friends still um maybe we don't talk all that often but you know we're all still around which is pretty cool and um i think that's like a testament to like our connection and, and what we wanted to put out there. Cool, yeah. You know, inter interviewing like a lot of old band people and just like thinking about like people who've toured and stuff, I've always been kind of envious of a lot of the experiences, but like a lot of the downtime you just kind of read it off to me. Like I, I wouldn't be envious of having to deal with all that, you know? Um, and then you touched on something there about like being in the same van and the same recording studio with the same people and kind of getting to know like their inner workings. Um, Rob Antonucci had a really good idea for a question I usually ask people. So if you guys have listened to a couple episodes, you probably know that I usually like to ask people like what their dream show would be if they could put like a list of like four to six bands together. But Rob Rob suggested that knowing you guys so well that you guys like I flip it over and have Rory you pick Brian's dream show <laughs> and Brian pick Rory's and then after we after you guys list the dream shows we'll see like how close you guys are to being uh, correct or whatever. <laughs> No, pre no pressure or anything like that either. You want to go first, Brian, or you want me to Okay, go? yeah. Uh, okay, so Rory's Dream Show. Uh, you want to stick to, we'll stick to four bands each. So yeah, four is cool, yeah, yeah. Jeez. Um, Rory's Dream Show has page 99 and majority rule on it. That's for sure. That's two of them. 
Um, I don't know. I think he might, if he could have it be today, maybe he'd put Break of Dawn on it because they were probably very influential to Rory growing up. And as they were to me, being in bands, this was a band of um, local band of um, older people than us that were more talented at their instruments. And they they just really showed us um, what what hardcore could be. And they were probably instrumental in kind of spinning our sound a little bit the way it did. And and then the fourth one would probably be Pennywise. He loves Pennywise. Still haven't seen Pennywise. That's a good one. Wow. <laughs> so did I nail it or what? Did I nail nailed, it? You nailed it. You nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now uh, you do me. Quick, quick four four band show for Brian. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, even though you've already seen him. Uh, we'll put some Taylor Swift on there. I'll take it. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, I'll put uh, Propagandi on there. Okay, I'll go. And then we'll <laughs> we'll put the uh, the almighty uh, Blink 182 for you. Oh yeah, you had me until Blink 182. I can't stand <laughs> that shit anymore, man. I cannot stand that shit. I'm not going to the show if they're playing. <laughs> especially especially if it's okay. a from that we'll, trio. We'll sub Eddie Money in there for you. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> He nailed it, Josh. Are you really an Eddie Money fan, Brian? I never knew that. No, I'm not an Eddie Money fan, but a funny Eddie Money story. I was living downtown at, at Pleasant Street in Rochester, and this was the summer that the Owl House was opening. And I had the day off, and I went outside uh, my, my loft, and I heard, you know, like some music in the distance. And it was like, take me home to my... I'm like, is that fucking Eddie Money? I'm like, who's playing any money on the loudspeaker? And I started just walking towards the sound. And I walked by Dinosaur Barbecue. It's getting louder. Sure as shit, anybody's playing the Party in the Park free concert. You better believe I was at that show. I went and I was like, get right up front. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he had a couple of heaters, man. I think I think he's a rest in peace uh, casualty at this point, unfortunately. Oh, that's um, yeah. So you guys each collectively have like a bunch of other bands we could talk about, but it'd probably be easier to get you guys on like future episodes to do that separately. Um, but this has been pretty fun, and it's it's probably been about what I would have expected out of a uh, standfast conversation. I don't know about you guys, um, but in general, I guess do you guys have anything else you want to add or any other memories that we didn't touch on from the band? For for me, Josh, it was simply to reiterate that. Um to us at the time, we didn't know much better. You know, like we we were kids in Fairport and we were picking and choosing the music that we like to listen to and we were trying to mimic it. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm truly not trying to like say toot, my own, toot our own horn, but there's a lot of great that came out of Fairport subsequently. Um, a lot of a lot of band members, you know, and I could, could rattle off a hundred people that are, are doing incredible things now or have done incredible things musically that were a few years younger than us or a few years younger than that. I, I truly would like to believe that we played, a, we had a small hand in helping, you know, push that snowball along to the point where, you know, you got some really, really talented bands that had come out. Um, and a lot of those members were from Fairport. So I'm just really proud of that to, to know these kids and know what they've done and, and know that they were at our shows when they had braces, you know, cause I have the photos of them in braces at our <laughs> show, you know? So, uh, that's really cool to me. Yeah. I think, you know, Stanfest was special. I think we were, we were figuring it out and we were just 
you know, we didn't know any better and we were just making it up as we went along and we were just super honest with what we were doing. Um, but, but to go back to what, you know, what Brian said, like, we didn't realize that we were influential in any way. We were just like being honest. Um, and, and to, to like, to, to hear people have a reverence of the bands like they do, it, it's, it's really surprising to me because like, you know, we were just, we were just hanging out with our friends and doing what we wanted to do. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's special to hear that, that people uh, connected on that level and, uh, you know, hopefully they take away good things and, and um, it's, it's cool to, to hear, uh, you know, other people's takes and stories of friends that, you know, like uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise connected with. Like recently I randomly, some guy came into the coffee shop before COVID and was like, were you the guy in Stanfast? And I was like, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, that doesn't come out very much anymore. And that was just really weird and uh, caught me completely off guard. He's like, oh, I used to, you know, see you guys at the teen center a long time ago. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, so it's like, and also people don't typically like bring that up to you in person anymore, which, you know, I thought that was, that was cool. And, and to have some sort of impact, like, you know, uh, almost you know so long ago that that that's amazing to me and i just feel super humbled to even you know been able to create uh this long um and continuing to create with people and friends and and that's that's the important part is that the magic and the and of that time and place is the friendships that i still have and now having kids and our kids can be friends when all this stuff like fades away again they can hang out again and and be a part of each other's lives, uh, not just then, but now is, is awesome. Um, and that's, that's pretty fantastic for me, um, is that the takeaway for punk and hardcore is that you're the majority of you folks that are going to try to make it won't. And, uh, so just connect and have fun and create some good memories. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that wraps up the Stanfast interview. We're just going to hear one more song from Stanfast. It's off their final recording, and the song is titled Valor.
Alright, so that wraps up episode 19. Like I said in the beginning, this episode, as well as all future episodes, are dedicated to the memory of Patrick Doyle. Um, thanks to Rory and Brian for doing the interview and for being patient with me with, uh, with you know, with holding back on releasing this for a couple weeks. Uh, as always, thanks to Rob Antonucci for all the help with the podcast, as well as helping put some questions together for this episode. You know, thanks to my family for all the never-ending support. Uh, we got a lot of stuff coming up, so hopefully there won't be a big gap in between episodes again. Uh, the next episode will feature an interview with Mark Miller from Buffalo. Other future episodes will feature interviews with Jay Galvin, Nate Derby, Kevin Wilcox, Ben Keefe, Ryan Hex, and plenty of other people that I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, we definitely have episodes planned through the fall, so keep your eyes peeled. As always, EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com.